So as I mentioned, this is the fourth of the five weeks of these kind of core membership classes that if you're going to be a founding member of TRBC, that you need to come to. And so we've kind of laid out the skeleton of TRBC, talked about what are the expectations that you should have of us, uh, that we would display the wisdom and character of God by shepherding, loving, encouraging, and guarding one another. We've also talked about these kind of foundational Christian beliefs that are laid out in our statement of faith that you need to agree to to be a member of this church. And then lastly, we've talked about our commitments towards one another, that is our church covenant. So that's kind of the skeleton. And today we're going to put a little more flesh on that skeleton. Uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about three things this morning. We are going to talk about how we will gather around the word. We're going to talk about how we'll be governed by the word. And we'll talk about how we'll grow spiritually in word-shaped community. So kind of the flesh of the skeleton is all about God's word. We're going to gather around the word, be governed by the word, and we'll grow spiritually in word-shaped community. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and grab them and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 will be in verses 42 through 47. And while you turn there, I want to give us some brief backstory so you kind of understand where we are, what's going on. Before this passage, some 50 days before this, Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified. And these disciples who had followed Jesus for over three years had left him. Those who said that they would be with him wherever he went, whatever happened to him, left and deserted him. But that's not where the story ends. Jesus was raised from the dead. And he gathers with his disciples, those who deserted them, and he restores them and tells them to wait. Or he's going to go and his spirit would come and fill them. And then we see here in Acts chapter 2 at the very beginning that at the day of Pentecost, that promised spirit did come and it filled the believers. And Peter begins to preach to those very people who he denied Jesus to and those very people who crucified Christ. He preaches about the power of Christ and the gospel and the resurrection. It says that over 3,000 were converted. They believed and they were baptized that day and added to their number. Now, my question for you is, what did these baptized believers, these new believers, what did they do after this? They give Peter a high five and say, hey, great sermon. I'll see you in heaven. We're just going to go live our own life and do our own thing. What did the new believers do? Well, Luke tells us in Acts 42 through 47. So uh, follow along as I read. That's what Luke writes. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what did these believers do? What did these new baptized believers do? Well, they gathered as a church. That's what, exactly what happened. They gathered as a church. 
And what Luke lists here in verse 42 is basically the elements of the first Christian worship service, if you will. These are the components that they had. I mean, just a few things you'll notice here. We see that they gathered around the word of God. You see in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, that is the body itself, the breaking of bread. Now, this breaking of bread is probably distinct and different than verse 46, uh, where Luke mentions they were breaking bread in their homes. I think this breaking of bread is focused on the Lord's Supper. Uh, They were taking the Lord's Supper together. And they had prayers together. They were praying together. And then we see in verse 47, they were praising God together. These are the components of what the first Christians did. They didn't live lives in isolation. No, they gathered every week to praise God and to encourage one another and to strengthen one another. And so when you think back to Acts 1, when Jesus said that the disciples would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, I don't think he merely meant the apostles going and preaching the gospel to all nations. So I think that was part of it. I think what Jesus had in mind was the way Christians would display display Christ to the world around them was by gathering every single week and praising Jesus and loving Jesus' people. That's how we'll be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what we're supposed to do is to gather around Christ's word, uh, to praise Christ, the person of Christ, and to display the work of Christ through the baptism and the Lord's Supper. So how will we gather at TRBC? Well, it's not going to be innovative and creative. Uh, We're not flashy or cool. We're basically going to try to do what the early Christians were doing. Very basic, but that's what we're going to do. Because we don't think God is unconcerned about how we worship. Have you ever thought about that? The book I handed out a while ago says, "Does does God care about how he's worshiped? Do you think that God is concerned about how we worship and approach him? I mean, if you're in your Bible reading plan, your yearly Bible reading plan, you're probably finishing Genesis and an Exodus now. And you're going to find that God is very opinionated and has very specific instructions for how Old Testament people, Israel, were supposed to worship him. And in fact, if you were to go and read through first and second Kings and Chronicles, one of the biggest condemnations that God has against the kings is what? Is they worshiped God the way the other nations worshiped their gods. So God's people has, have always been called to be distinct in our worship. So God does care how he is worshiped. So at TRBC, God's word will govern how we worship. So if you want to get more technical, we'll subscribe to something called the regulative principle, which you don't have to ever say ever again in your life. It just basically means that God's word is going to shape and form and govern our time together on Sunday. Another way to put it, as David Peterson says, kind of this is engaging with God on the terms that he proposes and in the way that he alone makes possible. Brothers and sisters, it's a kindness of God that he's told us how we are to worship him. He's not left it up to us and our own creativity to worship and praise him. We would clearly get it wrong. I know I would for sure. So how will we do it? Well, everything we'll do be grounded in scripture and will accord with scripture. So here's what it's going to look like. We are going to read the word. We're going to pray the word. We're going to sing the word. We're going to preach the word and we're going to see the word. So that book, how uh, does God care how we worship? I'm basically taking this from there. Ligon Duncan puts it there. This is how Christians have talked about it. Those are the things we're going to do. So first, we're going to read the word. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So at TRBC, we are going to read God's word aloud. Now, if you've noticed this or not, 
But after the moment of silence, what is the first thing that you hear? God's word. No citation, no turning your Bible. Because the way that we come to God is through his word and through his word alone. So we're going to highlight that. We want you to hear God's word. I even mentioned this recently. I've been talking to a lot of people that maybe you've experienced this. You we talk about the church you grew up in. You're like, oh, I didn't realize it was unhealthy, but you know, he preached God's word. It's amazing how much spiritual good God does to us by simply reading his word. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read his word uh, together. We're called to do that. It honors the Lord. So practically in the services, uh, Ben and I will be preaching through books of the Bible. And so whatever testament we're in that morning preaching, we'll read from the opposite testament from a passage that supports our morning text. That's what we'll do. I will also read things other than the scriptures. So we'll read articles from our statement of faith. We'll use words of creeds and catechisms during our time together to confess our faith together. Now, this isn't scripture, but it's summaries of what God has told us about himself and about us in his word. So we'll use that together as well. Not only will we read the word, we'll pray the word. Jesus instructs us in the Sermon on the Mount, and when you pray. Matthew 21, when Jesus comes and cleanses the temple, what does he say? My father's house is to be a house of prayer. We're called to pray. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. Then later on in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. So in most churches, prayer is treated as a transition. That will not be true here. Prayer is a way we worship God. I want you to notice something. Oftentimes when we think of worship, what do you think of? Singing. Singing is part of worship. But there's other things that we do that's actually worship. It brings God great glory when we go to him and we ask of him. Because we're saying that he's the only place we can go to, that he's the only one reliable. So God gets glory when we go and we make requests of him. So during our time together at TRBC, we'll have a prayer of praise. where We'll praise God for who he is. Now, I would encourage you this week, have a time where you pray and you don't pray God for what he's done. You don't praise God for what he's done. You praise him for who he is. It's actually a really hard thing to do and a really wonderful thing to do. We'll also have prayers of thanks where we thank God for what he's done. And then we'll have a time of intercessory prayer, which we'll call here the pastoral prayer, where one of our pastors will intercede for the congregation, for those around us. We'll pray in that way. And then last but not least, before we take the Lord's Supper, we'll have a prayer of confession where we confess our sins before God. Uh, That's how we will pray here at TRBC. And we'll pray God's word back to himself. It's a safe and good, right way to pray. Not only will we pray the word, we will sing the word. So Paul in Colossians 3.16 says, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with all thankfulness, to in your hearts to God. Now we will sing songs that have scripture in them. Uh, so Psalm 100, for example, that's all people that on earth do dwell. So then a few weeks ago, that's straight out of Psalm 100. We won't only sing the Bible. We will sing songs that are biblical. So for example, if you'll notice this, uh, we sang a song called All Afflicted Saints to Christ Around Here. You can turn there in your bulletin now or your songbook. Now something that we do that sometimes only nerdy people do, and I'd be one of them, is we put attributions in the very bottom. Helpful to read. Maybe you didn't know this, but that song comes from Deuteronomy 33:25, And those words are, as your days, your strength shall be. That's Moses' blessing to Asher. We're taking that and saying, this is the shape of the Christian life. Or even afflicted saint. Well, that's 2 Chronicles 4, 17. 
this light momentary affliction. Really, the whole heart of afflicted saint to Christ draw near is Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God didn't start the work, and when trials and tribulation comes our way, he deserts us. That's not how it works. That he's with us in the midst of our affliction. Or whatever my God ordains is right. It's another song. It's not necessarily scripture, but it's praising God for who he is and how he's revealed himself in his word. Now, a note in our singing. So these are kind of elements of the service, but the forms will be different. So we're going to do congregational singing. So we're not going to have a choir because you are the choir. And we're not going to have special music because what's more special than singing with the redeemed? That's what we're going to do. Not knocking on churches who do. I grew up in churches that did that. But that's not how we're going to sing here. We are going to sing to God and one another to give God the praise he's due and to encourage one another to do the same. To remind one another all that God has done for us in Christ. So I seriously want you to sing to the people around you. It's okay to give eye contact when you, when you sing. That can be awkward. You're just like, you know, just kind of like, do I do this? What do I do? But it's a good thing. So for example, at Capitol Hill, there's a brother, a good friend of mine named Alex. Alex and his wife, Amber, for three years were dealing with infertility. Every single month, it was just painful for them. And so one Sunday at CHBC, I'm singing, and it's a very weird shape if you've been there. You have to make eye contact with people in the building. It's kind of awkward. But he's weeping as he's singing Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw Near. And I'm singing to Alex because I want to build him up and encourage him to say, keep trusting the Lord. He's going to provide and take care of you. Or Chris and Beth Parker. Chris and Beth lost their 30-year-old daughter to basically cancer. And so they got up on a Sunday night and shared that one of the songs that got them through was Whatever My God Ordains Is Right. So every time we sang that, I was singing to Chris and Beth to encourage them, this is true. Keep trusting the Lord. He will sustain you. That's why we do congregational singing. We're singing to God, but we're trying to sing one, to one another to encourage us in our faith to keep trusting the Lord and keep waiting well for him. Not only will we sing the word, we will preach the word. Preach the word. Paul, again, instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.42 to preach the word. Uh, we also see, uh, he, he, this is what he wrote to, I'll read it. Completely, He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, of out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul then tells us of the efficacy of God's word in Romans 10, 17, when he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of Christ. We're going to preach God's word. The most, this is probably controversial for some of you. The most important thing we do together every week is preach God's word. It fuels everything else we do as a, as a church. It's the most important thing that we do. So at TRBC, our main gathering, we'll preach expositional sermons, which basically means the main point of that passage will be the main point of our sermon. That's what we're going to do. In our evening services, when we have those, we'll take a verse and we'll preach in a way that hopefully will be application driven to, to build you up and to serve you. So we will preach through books of the Bible. So starting April 9th, we'll start a series in Mark. We'll be in March for seven weeks, and then in the summer, we're going to take a break and preach through the Psalms. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to take a different uh, psalm from the different books of Psalms and just preach through those for nine weeks. And then starting back in August, we'll get back in Mark, and we'll be preaching through Mark again. I would encourage you, we're going to make the passages known in advance. Read those during your devotions or read those during your family, uh, kind of family worship. Think about the passage and ask questions. And it actually is a kindness to the preacher. If you have a question, just to email him that question. Be like, what in the world does that mean? It's useful. 
Because you might not be the only one asking that question. It's a good reminder to us to not assume things about the Bible, to make it as clear as possible as we can. So that's how we'll preach. I will be the main preacher. I'll preach about 60% of the time. Uh, Ben Robin will be the second main preacher. He'll preach about 25 to 30% of the time. Barak is going to preach some, and then we'll have other qualified brothers handling God's word from TRBC as well. Uh, So please pray for us. Pray for us in this, that we'd be found faithful in handling God's word, that we would not just give opinions, but they would expose what God has told us about himself and about us and his word. Uh, That's why every single week, I don't know if you notice, one of the main prayer requests that stays is praying for the regular preaching of God's word. It's important. It shapes our life together and it fuels what we do. Uh, The next thing is this. We will see the word. How do you see the Bible? Well, we see it in the ordinances. Lord's Supper and baptism. So in baptism, you're seeing visibly what has happened to all of us believers spiritually. We were dead in our sins, yet Christ made us alive, brought us forth spiritually. And one day he will physically bring us forth with a resurrection. And in the Lord's Supper, we're seeing the work of Christ. We're seeing Christ's body broken for us and Christ's blood shed for us. It's a reminder of what Christ has done, but it's also a visible symbol and reminder of what Christ has yet to do. Though Christ is spiritually present with us in the supper, he's not physically present with us. But one day he will be, and he'll take the supper with us again anew. So that's when we see uh, the words, when we take the Lord's Supper and baptism. Friends, this is how we'll worship God here at TRBC. Uh, Allowing scripture to govern our services gives gives God glory, and it builds us up. It not only builds us up, but it preaches the gospel to those who are far from Christ. Not only does it do that, but it protects us from error, from deception, and from wrongly binding consciences. It protects us from error because God's word is true. So guiding our services by God's word means we're being guided by the truth. It keeps us from trying to manipulate people. We're not trying to deceive you or manipulate you. We're trying to expose God's word. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where you've been asked to do weird things like, you know, lay on your face and ask God for a vision or walk down to the very front. And if you've got sin, we'll put the holy blanket on you. I have been in those services and it's really weird and really wrong. So we're not going to ask you to do any of those things here. Rest assured, we're not going to do weird stuff in our service. We're just going to trust God's word that it's enough for our life together and for our gathering. And we can rest assured that since we're not trying to deceive people, that if people are feeling convicted of sin... Well, it's not me doing that. It's the word of God. If there are non-Christians among us and they're beginning to desire Christ, they want to turn from their sin and follow Jesus, it wasn't because I was really compelling that day. It's because the word of Christ is working in their hearts. We can trust that the spirit is actually working through the means that he's given us. It doesn't quench the spirit. It actually enables the spirit to work through the means in which he has prescribed for us to use. Amen. And lastly, uh, we won't, uh, it's, it protects our consciences, which I kind of got in there a little bit. It keeps us from binding consciences. When we submit to God's word alone, we can know this is how we're supposed to worship him. I'm not asking you to do anything that God has not called us or asked us to do. Okay, I've covered a lot very quickly. So I'm going to drink some water, and I'm happy to take a few questions here. So Jack's got the mic. If you have a question about how we will worship here, please raise your hand. Share your name. Mark Kenny. I already shared it for you. Sorry. There you go. Mark's right there. Thanks. Um, so at CHPC, we would, uh, or Mark seemed to sometimes he would preach whole books of the Bible, chapters, paragraphs, sentences, 
Well, the church is going to just like do verse by verse by verse. Do you have a conviction or do you know what's going to be kind of normal here? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. So initially what I wanted us to do is just focus on the gospel. So I want us to move pretty slowly through the gospel of Mark. So we all understand and we're thinking about the exact same thing, about who Christ is, what he's done for us, and what does he expect of all people. So after that, there'll be times, probably starting next year, where I'll have my own series and Ben will have his own series. How we'll do that will vary. So my last sermons at CHBC, I preached Second Peter in two sermons. Really useful. It's actually very hard to do. So there'll be times that we might do overview sermons on kind of the minor prophets and other things. So we're definitely open to that. Uh, I think both can be considered expositional preaching because the main point of the book or the main point of the passage is being exposed. So we're open to all of that. So I don't have a clear answer, but yes. Other questions? Matthew Holden. Um, yeah, yeah, I would be open to that depending on the, the topic or the issue. So if there's specific things that our church is struggling with or dealing with, I'd definitely be open to doing that. Most of the time that we would we'd probably do that on an evening like sermon or service. It's probably where we would do it. But I can envision a time in which, like, hey, this is affecting the whole church. We're just going to preach specifically on this topic today. Yeah. It'd probably be rare, but yeah. Call on reading. Um, so April 9th. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I think you're getting what I mean. Yeah. How are we gonna how do we wanna think about those kinds of things in terms of how we gather What we wanna do is acknowledge it, but also not make a massive deal of it. Here's what I mean. The Lord's Day is every Sunday. Christ is risen every single Sunday. So we wanna highlight that and encourage people like, hey, you're coming to church on Easter, great. We do this every week. You should come back. It's really fun and encouraging. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll acknowledge it. I might put a tie on, who knows, you know. Um, but I, I want people to realize that there's nothing more significant about that day versus every other Sunday. So I will teach on that, that day. But hey, here's this. At Christmas, we may do a specific Christmas series or something. Where we're walking through the entire Bible, kind of helping us understand what is actually happening in the incarnation. Not opposed to that. Um, I could always do what my pastor Mark Dever did uh, on Mother's Day. He just was preaching whatever passage it was. And it was like Matthew 10, where Jesus was like, if anyone would come after me, he must like hate his mother. And it would happen to be on Mother's Day, which was so perfect. And so of Mark to do that. I might not do that. But anyways, I'm not going to preach a, a sermon just to dads on Father's Day. I'm not going to preach a sermon just to moms on Mother's Day. I will acknowledge them. I'll pray for them in my pastoral prayer. Uh, but the best thing that moms and dads need is the word of God. So I'm going to expose that to them. So that's what we're going to do. Other questions? This side of the room is dominating, this side of the room. Preston. Thank you, Preston. I'm not keeping count, but I am. We may have already gotten this in another session. Talk to us a little bit about Lord's Supper, how often yeah. things are. Yeah. Uh, so growing up, I did it once a quarter. We're not doing that here. Um, and then I've been a part of churches once a week. 
So kind of where we're starting, since we're just starting out, we're just figuring this thing out, we're going to do the Lord's Supper twice a month, basically every other week. There are going to be times in which we'll do it more than that, depending on what's going on. So Lord willing, we'll take the Lord's Supper on the second, and then Lord willing, we'll have a Good Friday service. We'll take the Lord's Supper again. Uh, so one of the things that I want to do, I know that we have a lot of people who want to do it every week, and I'm not in principle opposed to doing that. Some of the churches that I've been a part of who do it every week, it's almost like, and I'm not trying to be crass, it's like shotgun communion, where you go through it quickly, you take the bread, you take the wine, you juice, and you move on. I'd rather slow down. I'd rather do it less and be more reflective. Uh, it's going to take us 15 to 20 minutes to go through the liturgy to do this whole thing. So initially, we will start with basically twice a month. Lord willing, we'd like to move to every week if the Lord would allow us. Um, but we may do it twice a month and fall in love with it, and that's what we do. Uh, so it'll be a little bit slower. Um, we won't come forward uh, because that's not how the gospel comes to us. The gospel comes to us as we comes to us where we're seated, kind of thing. And we'll pass the elements. We'll have people come and serve each other like it's a meal. Uh, so those are some things we'll do as as well. Mr. Scott Corbin. Okay. Um, you mentioned an evening service. Yeah. So obviously. Yeah, so we will be able to use this space for our members' meetings and initial prayer meetings. So June the 11th is our first members' meeting that we'd encourage you to be there. There'll be things happening at that, so we'll pray, we'll sing, we'll have a brief devotion given by a brother. Uh, we'll also kind of do the business of the church. That's where we'd vote in new members and vote out people who might be leaving us. That's also where Ben Robin is going to share a budget, a prospective budget with us that we'd vote on in August. So initially, we'll be meeting here on Sunday evenings. But we are praying and soon to be actively searching for a permanent meeting location. Uh, that's what we hope to find. We hope to be here as long as the Lord would let us, but we need to find a more permanent location. And if we can't, then we'll try to find somewhere that would allow us to meet on Sunday evenings. Now, I know some of you is like, man, how old is this church? Like, like 1930, you're like meeting on Sunday nights. And yes, we are. Uh, but this is not like Snoozerville. If you've been to like a good Sunday night service, it's like family time. It's so encouraging to get together and to sing and to pray and hear God's word and hear updates. That's where, as I mentioned, Chris and Beth Parker, when they shared about their daughter, they did it on Sunday night. It was just like we're huddling together as a family. It's like a spiritual hug on Sunday night. Uh, So our hope is to do it sooner than later. The first will be June 11th. We'll probably do it every other month right now, but we hope to add more over time. A lot of this stuff we'd like to have up and running by the fall, but I'd rather do less and do it well and then slowly add things over time. Good question. Stephen Bagakis. With a nice salmon shirt today. Very specific question, mostly not silly question. So when you're talking about the Lord's Supper, you mentioned the wine and the juice. And is there going to be a wine option in the supper, or will it just be juice? Currently, we would do wine. Not wine, excuse me. Currently, we do grape juice. So sorry. <laughs> that came out the wrong way. Currently, we do grape juice. I think it's fruit of the vine. It's where we'll start. Uh, yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Currently. Other questions? Melanie. You mentioned um, visions, and I kind of wanted to know what um, your perspective of vision might be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So functionally, I'm what you would call a cessationist. So I think the things that happened in the early church were unique to that time. Now, I trust that God is able to do whatever he wants to do in kind of frontier, frontier missionary contexts. 
But I don't think we should expect those things as normative. Um, so I'm, I hear people say that Muslims are having dreams. I trust that the way they get saved is not through the dream, but through the preached word, because that's what God told us in Romans ten seventeen. So I don't think we should anticipate these, those things as normal. I don't want to minimize what God is able to do. Um, but for us, we think that God works through ordinary means, through prayer, through Bible reading, through gathering. And so that's, that's what we kind of lean and trust on. Our trust is, is true. So Ben and I are in agreement on that. Other questions before we move on? Ethan Pierce. And you guys are on it today. Look at these, these questions. Come on. Not every week. No, I mean, there's going to be stretches where I'll preach four to five times in a row, and then Ben will preach two, three times in a row. And that's kind of how we'll rotate. We'll try not to do it to where it's like you're being jerked around. Like this week you're in this passage, next week you're in that passage. We'll try to have some kind of continuity for a few weeks at least. Good, good question. Okay, unless there's another pressing one that you cannot like wait to ask, I'm going to move on. All right, moving on. We will not only gather around the word, we'll be governed by the word. Now, I want you to hold your excitement. We're about to talk about church polity, all right? Now, don't get too excited. This is the raging topic of our day. Not really. Um, But the basic question we're trying to answer is, who is responsible for what inside of this church? How do we make decisions together as a people? Uh, So we will hold to here an elder-led congregational form of governance. Elder-led... Congregational, So meaning we see that Jesus has entrusted to the elders of the church the responsibility to preach, pray, pastor, and counsel the congregation. And at the same time, Jesus has entrusted the responsibility to the congregation to watch over the discipline of the church and the doctrine of the church. So first, I'm going to talk about the elders. So in Ephesians 4.11, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, that a part of Christ's victory was sharing gifts with his church. Part of those gifts were shepherd and teachers, also known as elders. Their job is to help equip the church to do the work of the ministry. So what exactly do elders do? What do Ben and I do, and Lord willing, more of the elders that God gives us, what do we what do? We do? Well, we preach. As we saw earlier, 1 Timothy 2, 42, or 2, verse, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, this is part of the qualification of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Mentioned that we preach expositionally through God's word. Not only that, we pray in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember when there was a lot of needs of the church? A lot of disunity going on? What did the apostles do? They got men to meet the needs of the church because they were dedicated to the ministry of the word and prayer. So we as pastors are going to be praying for you. So every week at our staff meeting, we pray for 10 to 12 core team members of the church. At our elders meetings once a month, there'll be more members that we're praying for. Praying through the director. We will pray for you on a regular basis, so let us know how we can be praying for you. I'd better pray for you. Not only that, not only we preach and pray, but we'll pastor. Why don't you turn your Bible to 1 Peter 5? 1 Peter 5. So here. The first few verses, listen to what Peter says, starting in verse 1. So 
So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So he kind of walks through there. I want to focus specifically on the first four verses and what's happening here. So Jesus has entrusted the responsibility to the elders to shepherd the church, to pastor, to oversee. That's what it means. Bishop, overseer is what we're trying to do. Now, a lot of people can be confused about a congregational form of government. So oftentimes people think it's kind of a a democratic republic where you elect us as elders to do your bidding, to represent you as a people. And that's actually not true. Uh, We see here in 1 Peter 5 that we are put in this office to represent Jesus, to watch over you and to do you spiritual good. Our authority and our responsibility derives from Jesus. And this authority is given not to better ourselves, but to actually better you and to do you spiritual good. Uh, To watch over and to care for you, to not be domineering, but to be gentle, uh, to win your trust, to do you spiritual good. So that on the last day, we can present you before Jesus and say, look, we did not lose them. We pursued them. We watched over them and we cared for them. Uh, This is why you should pray for us that we will be faithful. Because on the last day, we will give an account for your soul. We see this in Hebrews 10, 17. He says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Though being an elder is a privilege, it is a serious responsibility. Uh, Part of our pastoring will be to check in on you to make sure you're doing well. So I know a lot of us will interact on a regular basis, uh, but you'll get at least one, if not two, formal visits or phone calls. And we'll ask questions. How are you doing spiritually? How's your walk with the Lord? How's your marriage? How are your relationships inside the church? Is there anything that we need to know about that's going on with you? We just want to get to know you so we can better watch over you and pastor and care for you. And the good news is this. As I've asked us to pray for more elders, Uh, Ben and I have been nothing but encouraged by the men in this church. And we're seeing tons of good fruit from what it seems to be qualified brothers. So continue to pray for us uh, that sooner than later, we can nominate these brothers to serve as elders. Now, how do we get more elders? How do we get more elders? Well, we as elders, when we sense a brother or discern a brother is qualified, we'll meet with them and have a conversation about what it means for him to serve as an elder. We'll ask a lot of different questions about his doctrine, about his life. And if we continue to sense he's qualified, we'll ask his wife, or if he's married, do you think this man is qualified to be a pastor? And then once we, if we continue to think he is qualified to serve, we would bring his name forward to you at a members meeting. We'd let, let that nomination hold over for two months to our next members meeting. And at that time, if you sense for any reason or believe for any reason that the man is disqualified and should not be serving as an elder, you should tell us. And if you plan to vote no for any reason, it's actually in our constitution that you would tell us that you're going to vote no as elders. 
Reason being is it helps protect us because Ben and I do not have perfect knowledge. We assume that you've had a lot of different interactions with one another that we don't have. So you may be protecting the church by not bringing forward a guy who's not qualified to serve. Or, as is often the case, you might have misunderstood something about the brother and it allows us to pastor you through that moment and through that potential disagreement that you might have had. So in any case, if you have concerns, you should bring up an elder. When we vote a brother in, Lord willing, once he's elected, a lay elder can serve for three years and then he must be renominated for a second term. And if elected for a second term, he must take a sabbatical, one-year sabbatical after that. Which won't be true of the staff pastors, but that'll be true of the lay elders. Now, something to note about the authority that we have been given by Jesus. This is authority of counsel and not command. So here's what I mean by that. Think about elders with the church like husbands with wives and not parents with children. So... I can't command Megan as my wife to do anything. That would not go well for me. Now, with my children, I can. They have to submit to me. They have to do or not do what I say. A husband with a wife, has been re- his responsibility is to lead her by laying his life down for her and serving her. And ordinarily, she should follow him because he has won her trust by his faithfulness, by his love for her and his care for her. In that same way, you should ordinarily follow your elders that God gives you because they've won your trust by how you love, by how they love you, how we pray for you, and how we preach God's word to you. Now, many of you might come to our members' meetings and might feel like, man, this is kind of a rubber stamp. We just vote on everything the elders bring forward. That isn't actually the worst thing in the world. The vote kind of functions like a fire extinguisher in a sense. Uh, You need to know where it is, even though you're not going to really have to use it that much. But if you have to use it to put out a fire, you need to know where it is and how to use it. So you should show up to vote, even if you feel like it's going to go a certain way, because there might come a time where there's a potential fire in the church and you need to use that vote to put that fire out. You need to know the mechanism works and how it works. So, for example, after we become a church on April the 2nd, we'll we'll take the Lord's Supper. And then Scott Corbin's going to get up and lead our church through business. And at that moment... You will affirm me as the lead pastor of the church, and Ben Robin is one of the pastors of the church. You will affirm us as elders. Now, we've moved our families here. We've done a lot of things to get this thing going on. It would be really weird and awkward if you didn't vote us in, because we'd still be members of this church. But I want us to do that, to go ahead and build the muscle, to know this is what we, as a congregation, this is what we do. It's a really important thing for us to do. So come to the members' meetings and use your vote. Use it well. Uh, and take seriously responsibility as a member of the church. Okay, I'm going to pause there because there'll be a lot of questions. Any questions about what the elders do? Will Carpenter. Yeah, so I'm about to get in that a little bit. But I want you to imagine there's a quadrant. And on the quadrant you have, the left side is importance of a decision. And on the bottom you have clarity of scripture on the decision. So in the bottom quadrant, I want you to imagine the staff. So things that aren't clear in scripture and aren't that important, the staff will make the decision about. We don't need to bring to the church if the staff should buy a copier or not. That would be terrible. We don't need to do those things. If you can't trust us to buy a copier, you should not have us as your elders. Things that are important but less clear in Scripture, the elders will make decisions on. 
But things that are important and clear in Scripture, well, the members will decide on that. So in a minute, we'll see over discipline and doctrine primarily. Now, there's also matters of prudence. So, for example, when we were members of Capitol Hill, uh, the D.C. government was pretty intense on how they handled COVID. So much so that we could not meet even outside in the district. So we felt like what they were doing was unconstitutional. So we sued the city. Now, the elders could have just made the decision. This is not clear in Scripture, so we're just going to sue the city. But since our name as a church was going to be on that lawsuit, we felt it necessary to bring it before the congregation to vote on. We don't see any pattern in the New Testament of the church suing Rome, right? But in prudence, we thought it would be good to do that. And it was a good thing to do that. We won the lawsuit. We were able to meet in the district. Praise God for that. It was good. Um, But those would be matters like that. So I'll explain a little bit further. I don't know if that's helpful or not. And if there's questions about it, we just may bring it to the congregation in general. Yep. Jonathan. So the, the idea of having elders serve three years and then take a, a break, it makes perfect sense to me. I can't think of anything in Scripture that speaks to that. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing in Scripture that speaks to that. Um, I think it's more in prudence because eldering is hard and it's burdensome. Uh, and we don't want to burn brothers out. And hopefully Jesus is giving us more elders to come along and serve these brothers. Because we, I mean, like Ben and I, we've been set apart full time to do this. <coughs> so we're not going to take a year off from doing it. Um, we may take a month off here and there in the years to come to do that. But with lay elders, working a full time job, caring for a family, all these different things, instead of saying, hey, for the rest of your life, as long as you're qualified, you're going to do this. That could be really burdensome and hard. Uh, so we want to give brothers an opportunity so their families aren't burned out. So their wives don't become bitter towards us. To say you're asking too much of us. So it's more prudence, not scriptural. Any follow-up on that? No, I, yeah. I, it, it just, like I say, when I read scripture, it just talks about the elders. Correct. And, and younger people listening to them. Yeah. And anyway. That, okay. I, look, prudence, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Other question about what the elders do. Barrick Waters, do you have a question? Yeah, Ben, you said that the elders will bring uh, nominations before the congregation to vote on. If we as members of the church see brothers that are qualified, yes. we can do. Yeah, so if you see a brother that is qualified to serve as an elder, you should write us and let us know. And just say, hey, I think this brother is super qualified. He's doing a lot of good work in the church. People are encouraged by him. He knows his word really well. He knows the word really well. Yeah, send us an email. Let us know. That's always a great thing to do. Other questions? Stephen Bogakis. In terms of uh, sort of uh, ensuring good doctrine and, and kind of lead, taking leadership in doctrinal ways with the elders, um, what kind of uh, role will they have with that, if any? So, like, so for example, I assume they'll develop, you know, sort of teaching curriculums or we'll talk about that. Will there be, um, like, I know some denominations. Yeah. Is that the kind of thing that yeah. elders would do? Yeah, yeah, so here, any teaching that's done in the church will have to go through us. So even though we might not be teaching that lesson, it's going to go through us. So like, there is soon is going to be a women's inductive study. Well, it's not going to be taught by Ben and I, but we want to make sure here's what's being taught and here's how it's being taught. We're going to make sure that we have oversight over that. And, and yeah, there will be position papers because I assume in the days ahead there's going to be tough theological issues that we face. So we'll think about it, and then I'll say, Ben Robin, write this about this so our church can better understand what we're doing, and he'll happily do it. 
But yeah, and if there's something that you think is difficult that is affecting our church, um, that could affect us as Christians in the society, ask us about it. Uh, that's one of those things that we might share topically on a Sunday evening to say, hey, here's what you need to know about this to help better equip you to how, how to live in this world. Yeah. Preston. Yeah. Is that something that the elders would respond to with one voice, or do you choose your favorite band? Yeah, choose your favorite band. Uh, no, well, we, what we believe is the statement of faith. So that's what we believe. Um, there are a lot of things that aren't in our statement of faith that we can disagree on to be members of this church. And if we need to add things to our statement of faith, Ben and I can't just say, here's what we're adding to our statement of faith. We'd actually have to bring that to the congregation for us to vote on it then. Is that helpful? Okay. Bill Hunter. Kind of related to Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. We can have that sent out this week. Initially, we sent out to a few folks last fall. We kind of had to go ahead and adopt the Constitution legally. So in the state of Texas, we already have a Constitution. Uh, so at some point we can make changes if we feel it necessary to the constitution. We'll just have to go through different legal channels to update that with the state. Uh, so Ben is making a note. We can send out the constitution again this week and you can read over it if you'd like. It's a good question. Um, but there are, go back to Preston, Preston's question. There will be things that aren't in the statement of faith that we will say we as an elders teach this. So I'm trying to think specifically on issues of divorce and remarriage, for example. Ben and I are going to hold to more of a covenant-breaking position. So we don't just see two reasons for divorce in the Bible. We actually see there's probably more than just kind of this two-position kind of thing. Um, so I can't point you to the scripture that says, husbands, don't physically abuse your wives. And if wives are being physically abused, you should leave your husband. But I think that's the pattern of the scriptures, that a husband has neglected his wife and he's abandoned his end of the covenant. And I think she has a right to leave that man if he's physically beating her. I feel really good about standing for Jesus and saying that. So that's not necessarily what our church holds as a position. It's not in our statement of faith, but that's what we as elders would hold. And we would encourage you to consider in the same way. Other questions before we move on to what does the congregation do? You guys are just on a roll today. Okay, we're going to move on for more questions. Okay, now what do you do? What's your job here? Well, there's two things primarily the congregation is responsible for. Uh, for the discipline of the church... And the doctrine of the church. So throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus has entrusted to his church the final authority to represent him on earth. We see this most clearly in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, and 2 Corinthians 2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. I want to read this because I think it's just really helpful that we're not just pulling this out of the air. This is what Jesus has given us in his word. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. This is how we make decisions in this church. Jesus says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And I, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gathered in my name, there I will be among them. So Jesus uses this language of binding and loosing, which is what he used in just Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. It's a famous passage where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you alone, but my father who is in heaven. And to you has been given the keys of the kingdom. Where is bound on earth is bound in heaven, and where is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. We don't think Jesus was creating the first pope there. What we're doing is seeing that Jesus is entrusting his authority on earth for the local church to determine the who and the what of the gospel. So this is the gospel, and all those who want to join in as a church have to agree with that gospel, and their lives need to show fruit of that. That's what has been entrusted to the church. So who has the final authority in the church? Not the elders. It is the local congregation. So here's a way that's going to work here. So we're going to vote members in. Now, that's like, that's archaic and formal. Why are we doing that? It's not in the scriptures. Well, we kind of see a pattern of it uh, in the Bible. So at our members' meetings, Ben and I will bring forward to you prospective members. These are people who have gone through the membership class. They've had a membership interview. Either they have been baptized or they're soon to be baptized. And we'll share their testimony with you and say the elders are happy to recommend that you accept them into membership. Are there any questions? And if there's no reason to believe this person is not a Christian then we'll vote them into membership. And when we vote them in, what we're saying is you're ours. We're taking responsibility for you. As long as you're here, we're going to care and watch over you to do you spiritual good. And we will then covenant with them. Well, then sometimes God will take people from us. Maybe for you, you end up going to another church in the area where you grow more spiritually or God takes you away from this place. Well, then we'll vote you out. Again, sounds super formal. It's not really what we're saying when we vote you out is this that you're leaving in good standing, that you're going to another gospel preaching church, and that we no longer have a responsibility for you to watch over you and do spiritual good. We love you. We'll pray for you. We'll care for you. We hope to see you soon. We're trusting that that other church that you're going to is going to watch over and to do you spiritual good. The other matters, which Jesus mentions here in Matthew 18, would be matters of, of church discipline. Now, we discipline each other in many ways. There's instructive. So that's what I'm doing to you now. I'm instructing you in how to think. There's formative. But there's corrective which is kind of the final step that you see here with Jesus in Matthew 18. So if there is any member, which we hope this never happens, of TRBC that is living in persistent, outward, serious, and unrepentant sin. These aren't just light sins. These are serious sins that question someone's credible profession of faith. We would, as elders, after pursuing them for a long time, doing everything we can to convince them to repent, we would then bring it to you to say, hey, we want to bring this person to you and we'll share their name in a members meeting. They are living in unrepentant sin. Will you pray for them? And if you know them, will you pursue them and try to help convince them to turn from their sin and continue to trust in Christ? And after two months, if we don't see any fruit of repentance, then the last thing that we have is to bring them forward for excommunication. Now, again, that sounds super intense, but basically it's a kindness of the church to that person to say, look, you are no longer living in a way that lets us think you're a Christian. So we're trying to instruct you and awake you to life that before you die, you repent and turn towards Christ. So it's a kindness. Now, we're not Catholic, so this is not some lasting eternal mark on their soul. This is irreversible. So someone could repent and we would happily bring them forward and say, this brother and sister has repented. We're happy to bring them back into membership. And we would rejoice when that happens. But Ben and I cannot just excommunicate somebody. I can't do that. It's not my authority. I have to bring it before you. 
And again, excommunication sounds intense. Basically, we're saying we no longer can affirm your professional faith and you're not allowed to take the Lord's Supper anymore, which is kind of the visible sign of the visible church. So that's how that works. We pray that doesn't happen. And when it does, we pray they would repent and be restored to our number. The church is also responsible for the doctrine of the church. So if you go again in your Bible, let me hear those pages. Go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Now I'm going to look at the first, actually I think it's just helpful. Look at verse 2, real quick. Verse 2, the very last thing in verse 2. Who is Paul writing to? Someone say it out loud. All the churches. So there's multiple churches he's writing to. Okay, keep that in mind as we read this. Verses 6 through 9. He says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a different a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now, who was Paul writing to? The churches of Galatia. So who is Paul holding accountable for the false teaching that's going on amongst the churches of Galatia? It is a local congregation. Mentions nothing here of the elders. He mentions the church. He is holding them accountable, saying, look, if we were to preach something differently, you should not listen to us because you have received the true Gospel. It's the local church's responsibility to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our job. So, for example, if Ben Robin gets up and he starts saying that Jesus starts your salvation, but you got to follow Moses to finish your salvation, you should fire him tomorrow. I'm not going to be preaching that ever. You should fire him tomorrow if that happens. (laughs) Kidding. If I did that, you should as well. It's your job to protect the statement of faith to the best of your ability. These are serious matters. And there's a church, a beautiful building downtown, that at one point I'm convinced was a gospel preaching church. But you know what happened? Somewhere along the way, some man was led astray by false teaching, and he began to lead his church astray. And the members of the church sat silent. They did not speak up. I pray that the Lord Jesus would close the doors of TRBC before we preach another gospel. It is our job as members of this church to make sure that false things are not said about who God is and about us. I pray that as long as we live, we as a people would take seriously the responsibility to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's on us as a people, not just the elders, but us as a people. Now, again, these are not disputable matters. These are matters clearly laid out in our statement of faith, which we believe is what God teaches about himself, about us, how to be made right with him. So it is our job to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be a good listener of sermons. Be a good listener in your community group. Uh, It's one thing if somebody has a question about something, but it's a whole different matter if someone is beginning to question Orthodox Christian beliefs. Uh, so, and for example, there are some things that aren't as serious, but let's say, for example, there's someone here that changes your view on hell, that you believe in annihilationism. Well, you can no longer be a member of this church. We're not doubting you're a Christian, though I'd have some questions, but you need to find a church where you, that, that teaches that same thing. So we'll ask you in your membership interview, do you agree with the statement of faith, and do you commit 
to defending it to the best of your ability. And if you find yourself in a disagreement with the statement of faith, will you tell the elders? It's a responsibility that you have. Okay, I've already shared about my little chart. So I've covered a lot there, a lot going on. Any questions about the church's responsibility? Will, does that clarify some things for you? It's mainly members voting on the elders, voting on officers, and uh, just protecting the doctrine of the church. Hey. Hey. So you mentioned excommunication. Correct. Which may be new for some people. Correct. Assuming that they don't break the law, are they still welcome to come to our public gatherings? It's a good question. Uh, how do we interact with people who've been excommunicated? That's what Megan's asking. Yes. So we would encourage them to come to our gathering. But you would need to treat them as though they're a non-Christian. So you don't need to be buddy-buddy and act like everything's fine. You need to, to live with them in such a way that they recognize that they're in sin. Um, pursue them, pursue a relationship with them, ask them, how are you doing fight your sin? Have you repented? Those kind of things. Um, Paul is pretty strict on this in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. And so they're welcome to come to our gatherings. We're not going to bar them from that. We're not going to call the police if they show up. Um, but we're going to pray and seek to see them come to repentance. Stephen. You mentioned that the members will vote on excommunication. I know that some churches practice kind of like an immediate version of discipline, for example, you know, don't take a name for a month or something like that. Will there be anything like that where the elders uh, sort of do a correction that's short of excommunication? Well, yeah, it's a good, good question. Typically, the way that works out practically is if someone is living in unrepentant sin, they're probably not coming to our services and they're probably not taking the Lord's Supper. Um, if they are, they are really hardened in their conscience and they are so deceived. Um, so we might have a conversation with them. The only reason you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper is if you're in unrepentant sin. And so we may say that. But uh, it would have to be a church act. And on immediate excommunication, which you didn't talk about, very rarely might we bring a case to you to say, look, we need to, to act on this now. We know we didn't give you two months. So, for example, there's been situations we've had to deal with at our previous church where it was domestic violence that was so grievous and so bad that it was like, we can no longer have this person as a member of our church. So we moved immediately to do that. So there's times in which kind of 1 Corinthians 5 kind of things happen, which there's probably a lot of steps in between there and what Paul was recommending. But that's just something to kind of be aware of as well. We hope to never have to do that ever by God's grace. Yes, Kevin. Kevin Watson. Yeah, ordinarily, I mean, just to be very clear, if we come and we have like a 50 plus one, we'd probably just say, hey, we're going to pull this for a second. We're going to figure out why there's such disunity over this. Because there's something wrong if that happens. So like elder votes, it'll need to be a kind of a super majority. It has to have 75% of the vote to win for him to be nominated. So that's kind of how that works. So ordinarily, it's just, you know, 50 plus one kind of thing. But again, I'm, we are very concerned about protecting the unity of the church. And so if that's happening, if something's going on there, then we're, not, we're clearly not getting something. Uh, so in prudence, we'd probably just take that away and kind of discuss. Anything you'd add to that? Okay. Cole. You talked about the Lord's Supper with regards to your excommunication. Um, let's say someone does come back and repents. Uh-huh. Wants to come back. How does, how does that work with baptism? Like, are we, when we excommunicate someone, we're saying they don't have confidence that they're a believer. Would they 
and coming back needs to be baptized again? Or would that be a case-by-case thing? No, they would not need to be baptized again. Unless they were saying, unless they said, actually, I was not actually a Christian. Now I am a Christian. Then we would baptize them. But if they're simply saying, no, I was a Christian. I was just living in unrepentant sin. We as a church would vote them back into membership and they could come back to the table. Ben? Nothing to add, but I have a new question. Okay. You said the word annihilationism. Yes. First, what is that? Second. Can you teach me what it is? You're getting a PhD. What is that? Denial that hell is eternal conscious torment. Yeah. And my question is this. Are you saying someone can be disciplined because of something they believe? Yes. Would you like for me to expand upon that? Yes. Yeah. You could, if you begin to unrepentantly believe something that contradicts our statement of faith. Now, there's situations in which I want to be very cautious and careful. I'd be like, okay, maybe you change your position on egalitarianism. Okay, well, let's help you find a church. Like, I'm not trying to wield this like a hammer. Like, I just want us to live and agree with what we said we were going to agree with. And if you're going to disagree with it, then go somewhere else. Now, if you're in unrepentant sin and you're denying the Trinity, well, that's a very serious matter. Uh, if you continue to live that way, we would excommunicate you for that. Because we can't in good confidence affirm your profession of faith and you deny who Christ is and what Christ has done or deny different parts of the Trinity. So, yes, there are certain beliefs. I can't get specific unless you have a specific thing in mind. But those would be things. Jonathan Armberting. I mean, you guys are on it today. This is so great. Okay, Matthew Holden. There's a line now. Yeah. But then the elders are initially interviewing basically what you're saying is how do we do this whole thing? Yeah. We're figuring it out. Um, there isn't really a great way to do this and be a congregational kind of church. So we have been given by Capitol Hill and Del Rey as elders to be sent out to start this church. So we're kind of trusting that these churches see this in us, so we're going to start this work. So how to become a congregational church is kind of weird. So do we vote in Matthew first, and then Matthew's the one? He's the only one in the congregation. Does he vote everybody else out? Like, what do we do? I don't know. So basically what we're trying to do is interview everybody. No, we're not we're trying to do. We are interviewing everyone who wants to be a member. We're making sure that they can articulate the gospel, that their lives show evidence that they have been saved and they're living as a Christian. They have been baptized upon their profession of faith. They agree with our statement of faith and church covenant. So then we're making all those testimonies available to you. So when you write your testimony, Barrett's sending these emails out. When you write it, write it in such a way, knowing that the congregation, the soon-to-be congregation, they're going to read those. So we're, we're kind of like this initial part's kind of weird. We won't have this ever again. Uh, so read those in advance. So when you take the Lord's Supper on the second, you need to look around and go, yep, to the best of my ability, I think all these people are Christians. Excuse me. And I'm going to covenant with them, and I'm going to care for them, and they're going to care for me. So that's kind of how we chose to do it. I've asked a bunch of different people how to do it, and I've gotten a thousand different answers. So this was the way that kind of makes the most sense to us. Jonathan Armerding. Okay, you, you uh, talked about this somewhat, but um, uh, social issues that become a, a personal passion for someone in our church, and they get to the point where they say, you couldn't be a Christian and not agree with me on this social issue. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned, for instance, you know, physical abuse uh-huh. isn't 
you know, verse by verse mentioned in Scripture, but it seems so obvious. Yeah. But that's a, that's a difficult line to draw, yeah. to draw of course. Yeah. Um, so specific you? examples like the social issues. Uh, you cannot be a member of this church and think and believe abortion is a good thing and a right for people. It's in contradiction to our statement of faith. You cannot be a member of this church and think gay marriage is okay and right and good. That's in contradiction with our statement of faith. So we've tried to draw, draw some of those things out very clearly in our statement of faith. Now, there's some other things that you may be very passionate about that you think are the most important issue of the day. And unless it's like very clear that we are violating the gospel of Jesus Christ by not doing th- that thing, which clearly we don't because it's not in our statement of faith, then you need to be okay being a member of this church and disagreeing with people on that issue. So I think it's, again, some of the hardest things about these questions, some of it is just case by case. And there are going to be some people who are going to be frustrated with us as elders because we don't take this stance on this thing at this moment. And if that's really you and you're really passionate about it, we can give hugs and I might just say, you might need to find another church that is just as passionate about this as you are. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm not trying to just, you know, be hard-hearted. I'm just trying to say, we are not, like my job is not to tell you how to vote politically. My job is to help you follow Jesus and know God's word. And I trust that's going to help God and govern you how you live in the world. So we will pray for governing authorities like Preston did so well earlier in our pastoral prayer. I will, ben and I, every week we'll pray for some form of governing authorities. We'll pray for different things that are going on in our world. But we're not here to be a political arm. We're to follow Jesus. He is our king. He's going to take care of it all in the end. That's what we're trying to do here. If that's helpful, I don't know. Yes, Jill. Uh, it depends on what it is, but we would work with the authorities on what has happened. If we know that something illegal has happened, we are under obligation to report that. Um, so we're, that's, I don't really have a specific example, but that's just something we have to do and should do. Brittany. There's a wonderful lake right down there. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we will do baptisms probably every other week that we're not doing the Lord's Supper. Uh, One of the things we'll do when people get baptized is we'll have them get up before the congregation and read their testimony. And I'm not going to lie, it's one of the most encouraging things I've ever been a part of is when someone says, I'm now trusting in the finished work of Christ for my salvation. If we don't cheer and applause, I'm going to walk out that door. Like We should all be excited when we see the evidence of God's grace among us with someone being converted and then being baptized. So that's what we'll do. Great question. There is a trough that we'll bring out. But if you want the lake, we can always arrange that. Other questions before we move on? And this next part is very brief. And you can, if you have a question, you can hold it to the end. I'll go very briefly. Okay, let's go brief. Okay, how will we grow spiritually in word? We will grow spiritually in word-shaped community. We'll grow spiritually in word-shaped community. So I'm going to give you a few brief things, and these are just highlights. Um, so here's a few ways you can grow spiritually in this church. One, show up on Sunday morning. Just come. Even when you don't feel like show up, show up. It is amazing how much spiritual good is done simply by just showing up on Sunday morning. Getting in the room, hearing the singing, hearing the prayers, hearing the sermon. Uh, the next thing is become a good listener of sermons. Some of us don't have that muscle yet. 
But in my sermons, and I assume in Ben's, Ben's as well, I'm going to make it very clear to you what I'm trying to tell you. So I'm going to say, here is my main point today. Or here's a question I want you to consider. And here are two or three or four things that support my main point. The first point is this, and I'll make it very obvious. And it will cover these verses. The next point is this, and it's going to cover these verses. So just become a good listener of sermons. Try to understand what the passage means. So basically, we talk about inductive study. All we're trying to do in these inductive studies is basically what we're trying to do when we preach. We're trying to observe the text. Uh, we're trying to interpret the text. So observe it. Read it. What is it saying? Interpret. What does it mean? And apply. What does it mean for me? That's what we're trying to do. So become a good listener of sermons. Uh, the next thing is practice hospitality. Make it normal to have people in your home. Just make that a very normal thing. Who cares if it's clean? Just make it normal to have people in your home, to share meals, share coffee. Like one of the fun things for Ben and I has been we're doing some of these membership interviews. We get to go to your home and it's just so fun uh, to be able to do that. Uh, the next thing is pray for members of the church. So on April 2nd or 9th, we'll have a membership directory. I would encourage you to put that in your Bible and pray through it on a regular basis. When you pray for somebody you don't know, just send them a text. Hey, I don't know you. Here's who I am. We're members of the same church. I'm praying for you today. Also, one of our very own has developed a church directory app that we'll be using that we can use to pray for one another. Great thing to do. You can list prayer requests in there about how we can better pray for you. Uh, the next thing is commit to one-on-one discipling. So my former pastor makes this distinction. I think it's really helpful. Discipleship is what you do with Jesus. Discipling is what you do with other Christians. Discipleship is me following Jesus. Discipling is helping other Christians follow Jesus. So we want it to be very normal, as I've said many times, and I will say as long as I have breath, that we meet up one-on-one to ask spiritual questions, to read God's word together, and to do each other's spiritual good. So we want you to do that. And in the membership interview, I'm going to ask you, will you commit to meeting up with other Christians in this church to read God's word, to pray, and to do them spiritual good? Are you going to commit to doing that? Great. Because we're trying to create a culture of that, which means everyone's doing it. It's part of it. So commit to one-on-one discipling. The next is serve in the church. So many of you have done this already so well. Thank you for how you've already served TRBC. Huge blessing to me and us, but continue to do so. And look for ways not just to serve on Sunday, look for ways to serve it during the week. So for example, when we were in DC, we had a member who was kind of shut in who lived in Baltimore. The person who was taking her to church moved. And so one of our members started working in Baltimore. And so he found this out. So he just started taking her groceries every week. No one asked him to do that. No one instructed him to do it. He just saw a need and he met the need. It's a really great way to serve the church. Look for needs and meet them. Uh, the next is be in a community group. Now, it's not a requirement to be in a community group at TRBC. It is something that we offer to help better serve you and care for you. Uh, these groups are help connect you with other members who live close to you for the purpose of fellowship, accountability, care, and prayer. Those are the four things we're trying to do. Fellowship, accountability, care, and prayer. Uh, these aren't required, uh, but hopefully it helps you grow spiritually with other people. Uh, the next is come to men's and women's inductive studies. So starting in April on Wednesday nights at my house, first and third Sundays, the women will be at my house walking through the book of James. Maybe. Don't hold me to that. Walking through the book of the Bible. Second and fourth Sundays, men will meet at my house and will walk through a book of the Bible. We'll do an inductive study. So that'll be from 7 to 8, 8.30ish. I know some of you are night owls. My wife, she'll probably kick you out of the house if you're hang, hanging out too long. I'll just keep you there all night because I'm an extrovert. And it'll be great. Uh, so come to those inductive studies. Hopefully it encourages you, helps you read the Bible. Great thing to do. And then the last thing is come to members meetings and prayer services. At those uh, prayer services, that's where we're going to pray together. We're going to kind of do family time together. Members meetings, that's where we're doing the business of the church. 
Now, we're not trying to overwhelm your schedule with events. We're just trying to create outlets for you to grow spiritually in community. That's all we're trying to do. We're not going to be a programmatic church where we're doing a billion different things, uh, but we're just trying to create outlets for you to grow spiritually. So what marked the early church in Acts was their commitment to God's word and their love for one another. And that's the kind of people that we want to be, devoted to God's word and devoted to one another as long as Jesus has us together. That's what we're trying to do. Last time for questions before we pray. Just make it clear, this was not supposed to be that long of a talk. I'm just saying. But I'm encouraged by the questions. Thank you for them. They're very thoughtful and they're very good. Any other questions? Yes. Dana, we got a mic coming to you. Can you, can you use the mic? Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, so what we will have is some form, a better form of recording than we have now, uh, so where we can put the sermons on a podcast. Um, now, if you're just hiding out every week and you're just listening to the podcast, we're going to discourage you not to do that because we want you to come. I know that's not what you're saying, but yeah, we'll have those available. So if you're going to be gone, you can listen to those sermons via podcast. Other questions? Matthew Holden. Wait for the microphone so everybody can hear you. I love these questions because I know many of us have not been a part of a congregational church. You're like, what are we doing here? And so I'm encouraged that you're thinking about it well. Oh, I totally missed that. That's a great point. That was in my notes. Uh, so basically, we're going to have deacons of the church. Uh, briefly, here's what we have. So deacons, so elders are shepherds. Deacons are servants. So we see in Acts chapter 6 that they bring forth deacons to care for people so that the, deacons, so the elders could do, or the apostles uh, in the early church could do ministry of the word and, and prayer. Uh, so at TRBC... Because we see this in the New Testament, we'll have both male deacons and deaconesses, female deacons. So we see this in 1 Timothy 3. If this is new for you, 1 Timothy 3, what you see is uh, Paul writes to Timothy about elders, and then he says to deacons, and then he says wives. It's actually, if you notice, there's a footnote in your Bible that says women. It's better translated women. So here's what we mean by that. Some of us grew up in Southern Baptist churches in the South where deacons were kind of like elders. That's not how it works here. You're servants. So meaning, if you're serving on parking team and you're recruiting volunteers, you're the deacon of parking. If you are over the sound system and you're running sound, you're the deacon of sound system. If you're over, over this, I'll have to bring you forward and vote on you just like we do elders, but you'd be the, the deacon of set up and tear down. Or we need someone who's over the ordinances, you'd be the deacon of ordinances, that kind of thing. You're just meeting the needs of the church. Uh, you can see this throughout history. If you go read the, the account from Pliny the Younger to Trajan, he goes and he witnesses the church. And what he finds is there are these slaves who are women who were serving as deaconesses in the church. Just very common. Phoebe and Acts, or, uh, Romans 16 was called a deacon as well. So that's what we'll have. We'll also have a church clerk and a church treasurer. Um, so those will be things we'll have as well. Great question. Well, they have terms. Deacons will have terms just like elders do. Great. Three years. You've got to take a year off. Janae. Yeah, so if the person comes to us and says, I was actually never a Christian, like I just got converted, then we would baptize them because they've actually never been baptized. If the person comes to us and they're like, no, I repent, I'm so sorry, I am a Christian, I just wasn't living like that, we would not baptize them. We'd see re- rebaptism as a sin, we don't need to do that. Um, so yeah, that's how that would work. 
If someone says, over a span of time, honestly, I was not a Christian. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm placing my faith in Jesus for the first time. Great, we'll baptize you. Uh, but if they're living in unrepentant sin, they come back and like, no, I'm actually a Christian. I've just been living in sin. I'm repenting now. We'll just bring them back into fellowship. Johnny. Okay. Um, so are we saying we uh, in the binding of No, uh, though we do not have perfect knowledge of someone's spiritual state. In that moment, what we're saying is we no longer have confidence in affirming your profession of faith. Now, you may come back and say, no, I was actually a Christian. I just was living in unrepentant sin and I was willfully disobedient. And so I'm repenting and turning from it. So all we're trying to do is do what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, is basically to say if someone is living in outward, serious, and unrepentant sin, the only thing that we have to instruct them that they're living in this way, the kind of the last step is to remove them from our membership. Uh, that is no statement on their spiritual state uh, before the Lord. The Lord knows who's, who are his and who are not his. But all we can do is operate based on the information that we have. So, yeah. So we would not do a rebaptism for anyone because we just, we didn't see that pattern in the New Testament. Second Corinthians 2, Paul says the majority of the decision by the majority was enough. Clearly he's instructing them to bring the brother back in. Uh, there's no other instructions to rebaptize. Any follow-up on that? Okay. Other questions? Before I pray and we sing. If you'd like to talk offline, we'll be in the very back right after this. You guys have been so great. Thank you for your questions.